Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia and streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites. All podcasts are available via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie. Today we'll be hearing about a new vegan eco-village called Vigoa in Portugal. Also, I've got a talk given by a Sea Shepherd volunteer at Melbourne's Sustainable Living Festival earlier this year. It's a talk about Operation Icefish. Ladies and gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here, I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying... Happy birthday, 3CR! Let's start with Vigoa, the vegan eco-village. I spoke with Geraldine, Tiago and Jenair very recently on Skype. They're three founding members, or Vigoans, of this new vegan initiative in southern Portugal. And they're part of a group that are planning a permanent international eco-village that will model a self-sufficient vegan lifestyle. Janair, tell us about Vigoa. There's a few uh, words. Vigoa can be described as a, as a whole ecosystem, a vegan, a vegan and sustainable ecosystem. The thing is, we want to, uh, to gather uh, people like an entrepreneurship network and uh, let them trade between each other uh, based on the on the economic system that we are as part of the Vigua project as well. 
So this is a bit like a summary. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to enter. Um, it's, it's, it's mainly it's a mainly an, a network of, of, of vegans. So uh, we looked at other eco villages and communities, and and what was in what happened in all these these communities? They they were like you can call them communes because that's what most of them are. So they are places where people are very they have very uh, similar uh, lifestyles. They agree in the same things. They they, they sit down around around circles. And uh, we saw as well several problems where there was people trading their freedom uh, for the community. So they had to leave some of their freedom behind because they has, they had to start negotiate everything with with, with their new uh, community members. Uh, so we knew we didn't want that because that will will uh, force us to trade our our freedom. Um, so what we do is is. Uh, like like Janer said, is, is is a group of 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 people that want to work together without the intervention of the state. Uh, so we want to have a vegan economy, and a vegan economy being that none of our money, none of, none of 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 our work goes to support uh, animal 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 um, exploitation. Um, yeah, so so that's what Big Voice is is all about. Our first project, Vegan Hills, uh, is is a village, like a normal eco village. Uh, it's going to have forty houses, so forty families, um, and this is this is this is a village where uh, we share we share resources like common kitchen and and we farm together. Uh, but we farmed independently as well in different groups. Some people maybe maybe want to farm more fruits. Some people may want to farm only mangoes, and then they can group together and do all these projects. Um, so for that, we have a, a 100 hectare land, uh, and that's our first project. But then we allow everyone to come to Begoa, join in small groups, acquire our land, and we help them as a platform. Um, so it's. It, become, it becomes a, a platform for people to create similar projects. Um, eventually, we want to become uh, big, big enough to have a political impact as well. Let's say we can define uh, the whole Vegoa ecosystem in three levels, three different levels. The first one is the, the ground one, is the Vegoa community itself. So people are joining Vegoa and they are part of uh, this Vegoa ecosystem, so they can start doing things, sh sharing things, trading uh, product and services as well, based on this economic uh, system, which is also based on the basic income, but this is another topic. So the second level, it's uh, more about land level. So people uh, go together to, to acquire lands and to build something on top of it. So if as Thiago said, uh, if some people are more uh, interested by living in cities or uh, some other in countryside, that's um, uh, they, they can follow their, their values. So this is the this land uh, level, and the, and the last one is uh, more about organizations. An organization uh, um, can be defined like uh, some people want to uh, to group uh, together and start working on a project, start uh, building something, start pro uh, uh, providing services. So uh, that's the idea. I mean, we're, we're not forcing anybody to do uh, what they want to do. They, they can follow the, 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 their, their values. The, the economy uh, also provides 
to everyone, to every member, to every single uh, Vegoans, uh, the basic income. So it means it's, uh, it's an amount of money uh, so they can start doing something. Uh, and yeah, and uh, they are not um, uh, required to, to follow a specific value or whatever. They can do really whatever they want. The only... Uh, the common value that we, we all agree is just what we have in the, our manifest, which is being vegan and following a, a sustainable lifestyle. Uh, tourism or ecotourism is a, is, a, yeah. is a big part of Vigoa. We, we plan to, to have different uh, tourism facilities and uh, to be able to, to welcome a uh, lot of people and eventually uh, also um, uh, be a, like a like a school for uh, learning things and learning how to create uh, other villages or different techniques. So why was Portugal chosen as the location? Uh, we, we started, we looked at several countries. Uh, we initially even looked at tropical countries. Uh, and then we, we, we start looking at Spain very closely to the northern Spain. Uh, we, never, we never look at South Spain because it's overbuilt. Uh, and eventually we, we start facing like there was uh, very strong laws in Spain and, and uh, because I'm, I'm from Portugal as well, I start looking a little bit in Portugal and uh, most of the laws, they were a little bit more relaxed. Um, Portugal is a country that there is law for things, but most of the times they are not applied or people are just very relaxed about it. Uh, and uh, it's a country that is less spoiled by construction, so that is still very natural areas. Um, and that's the reason why we chose Portugal. Um, it was important for us as well to have sun so we could grow tropical fruits. Um, we, we, can, we can simulate tropical weather in, in Portugal um, and we want to grow mangoes, avocados and, and, and similar, similar fruits. So as part of your planning and preparation, did you look at other vegan communities around the world and lessons learned there? Um, yeah, we had uh, our, f our first meetup in February, and so we had like around 20 people coming from around the world, and they shared with us different experiences from uh, eco communities and eco villages around the world. Um, we ourselves uh, also tried um, to start a, a vegan community a few years ago, and so yeah, we, we learned uh, a lot of uh, things about that. Uh, and uh, try to take this experience to 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 make it better in in Vigoa, and that's why, like Tiago mentioned, freedom is a very big uh, aspect uh, of Vigoa. So, how many members and genuinely interested people does Vigoa have so far? Uh, interested is 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 uh, well, it's it's hundreds, I would say, people really following close the, the project. Uh, and then we have the, the people that were interested in, in the Vegoa, uh, and that we are around 20. So that's, that's the, the, the Vegoa, the idea that people that are already committed to it, that were here last month with us. And now on the first project, we're getting new people. And these are the people that are interested in this specific project, the Vegan Hills. Uh, but the idea with Vegoa is that some people, they can live in the cities, local cities as well, or local towns. Uh, some people that prefer to live a bit more urban, uh, they can live close by. Everything should be at, at a 30 minutes distance. So we start creating a, um, a network around. Uh, but at the moment, because we are so new, it's very hard to say exact, exact numbers. 
Um, we want to start this vegan hills with uh, with 40 people, 40 families, so it will be many more people. And we think we're going to do it in the next two, three months. I'm wondering if people might think that the Goa is just another hippie commune. Have you got any thoughts on how you might mitigate that risk? Well, we just start by saying that we are not one uh, normally. Uh, lots of people come to us looking for a hippie commune. Um, we we finding that more and we're learning with the whole process. We just started not long ago and we're going really fast, faster than, than most communes. Communes normally, they take years or people, they're waiting for someone to give them the land or they, they don't have big projects or organized projects. And lots of people come to us looking for, for a commune. And, and it's very hard sometimes to explain them. And, and they even sometimes get a little bit offended that that's not what we're doing because in, in, in the society and in the system, we are, we are told that we have to, to live through this democratic system. And, and, and uh, yeah, because it's more about giving responsibility to the people. So people feel their freedom. If they just want to move to Begoa and they want to live a very simple life, that's possible into Big Goa. They just they cannot force that life into everyone. Um, we were calculating a little bit of what will be the cost because if we trade between ourselves, we will not have any taxes to pay to the government. And we're not suggesting anything that is illegally illegal. It just it's not it's not just catched by the law. It just is legal. Um, well, it's not legal, but it's not illegal as well. So. Um, what we do is if we trade between ourselves and we are not exchanging the euro, uh, then we do, we're not required to, to pay taxes. In, in, in Europe, in countries like Portugal, we pay um, a consumer tax of 23% uh, in every product we buy. It can be water, can be fruits, can, 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 be, can be a car, a house. So a quarter goes to the government. Um, so if something costs four euros, one euro will go to the government. On top of it, then we pay our income tax that goes up to, to even more than 50%. Um, so when we go to a cafe and, 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 and uh, we ask, we ask for, for the juice, uh, two thirds of the price of that juice are actually going to the government directly or indirectly. Um, if we have an economy in, in, inside, inside the village, and, and considering that, that people can, can have a life in Portugal with around 700 euros, it's possible to have a comfortable life inside the village with around 200, 250 euros. And that's what we, we want to explain to people, that they can have, they can, they can, they can have an organization inside that is similar to a business. They can do it with other members of the community exchanging, exchanging knowledge. And they can work much less and have the same standards of, of, of living that someone that has to work a full-time job uh, within the system. Uh, we, all, we let them trade with outside world as well. So Bigua is, it will be a cooperative with a tax number. So if they are required to trade with outside world, they can do, they have to pay their taxes uh, and they can trade with outside world. And, and that is if they want to earn money in euros. If they just trade inside the community, they will only get our own coin that we use to, to trade and that will be completely tax free. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's telling people, yeah, if you live half of the system and you're not depending on the system, then you can have a, a simple lifestyle. You, you can work less. You can focus on producing your own food and helping people, maybe producing 
uh, uh, giving services for free as well. Um, we we want to promote open knowledge. So so everything we do, we want to open source it online. The houses, the land, the way we work, the the coin. Uh, we just want everything online so people can just go there, copy it, and do the same. And we want to, to, to all the organizations to do the same, um, including our our finances as well. Uh, at the moment, we don't have yet, but uh, as soon as everything is, is formalized, uh, we will have a spreadsheet with every single cent that we spend online. So everyone can go there and see, okay, they bought this, this is how much they bought, how much it costs, how much they spend, everything will be online. When I first heard about Vigoa, I couldn't help wondering how is this going to benefit the animals when you're removing a bunch of passionate vegans from mainstream society? Can you expand on this, on how Vigoa is going to be of benefit to the wider vegan movement? Well, there, there are multiple ways we want to do that. Um, so we are like you said, going out of the mainstream, but in a way, we're not cutting ourselves from the outside world. In fact, it's the opposite. We want uh, that people hear from Vigoa, uh, that people come and learn and do the same, and we want to expand to other cities and maybe other countries. Um, so we really want to have an impact and show the outside world that it's possible to live in this way. Uh, so that's one of the points. And then we have multiple uh, activism uh, projects, uh, that would be directly linked to veganism. Uh, we also have plans for animal sanctuary, so th this, this will help animals in a direct way. Um, and uh, with this uh, economic system that we are planning to use, uh, like, like, like we said, it's a it's a, a vegan economy. So we take uh, we take in consideration that uh, um, this money, these coins, are only used for vegan uh, exchanges. So in a way, we um, we guarantee, guarantee yeah, mm -hmm. uh, this vegan impact. And going back to to the to the vegan economy, that's uh, is a very important uh, part because this is our organizes is our is, is our way of voting and what we like. So when we we liberate people from working the normal forty or fifty hours and or needing a certain amount of, of cash because being vegan in, 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 for example, in Europe, in a normal city is very expensive. Uh, restaurants are more expensive somehow. Uh, and then you go to the rest to the supermarket and you have all these fancy vegan foods that most of the time are actually owned by multinational corporations that produce any animal products as well. Uh, what we want to, to show people is that they can live with less, with the same life quality, and then they can dedicate more of their time to activism. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a platform that lets people get together and say, okay, let, I, I'm, I'm very worried about, about, about this situation in this country, who in the community would like to work with me to create this organization so we can, we can raise funds or we can create a product that raises funds for it, we can finance this specific uh, ac activism action. Um, and we want, we want that's, that's, that's something we want to promote heavily inside, inside the community. Can you describe a little bit your visions of sustainability and self-sufficiency for Vigoa? Yeah. yeah, so we want to, to be, live very decentralized. So, uh, for example, the houses we don't, we could create a small grid for the for the village, but we want to 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 make sure that every house produces all the energy and stores all the energy it needs. Uh, they're very uh, efficient, 
um, and as well using local materials. So sustainability is very important for us. Um, uh, just like 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 veganism, that has the two the two core values of of, of Begoa. Um, yeah, summarizing is, is just that we want to be to as well to produce everything we can within the community, like clothes um, and and other products. But we want to make sure that we calculate. Okay, yeah, then last month we bought all these products, and if we start from the top, what what are our dependencies with outside world? How can we produce these things outside inside? And when we produce them inside, how can we sell them to the outside world as well? Uh, once we do it, or teach the outside world how to do exactly the same thing like like, like we have done. So let me just confirm, you're building Vigoa from scratch. Vigoa at the moment is just land and you're building from the ground up. Is that right? At the moment, uh, there is uh, nothing, no structure. There's some ruins. Being... In this specific project. Yeah, in this specific... specific project. Some projects, they may be... We talked, for example, about taking over in a hotel... Uh, that was big with with 40 rooms in it. Uh, uh, there is uh, lots of old houses that that need to be fixed around this area. Um, yeah, so there is different projects that people can take. Is Vigoa designed for all ages and stages of life, like for young families and for singles and for the elderly? Uh, currently, the people that are applying to, to, to join, uh, they have all ages. Uh, we have mainly families at the moment, uh, but I would say that's almost the same number of, of, of individuals, but there is definitely a trend for families to apply. Um, of course, they have to be more careful. At the moment, it's a project that they are, they, they, they don't, they are not sure yet, so in the future, I believe we'll have more families as, as soon as they see, okay, there's already people in the land, there's already infrastructure, so I'm not putting my kids in the middle of the wild. Um, that's normal that worries parents. We get uh, many questions about schooling um, for, for kids, and we get, we get, we get people uh, at, at older ages as well. Um, we're all international, so, so there isn't uh, a main, a main uh, country represented as well. Um, yeah, but that's that's something very very important for us that that there is no no any time of of ageism and and, and like Janner said, um, everyone with kids and it doesn't matter how many kids they have, they will get all the kids will have the basic income, so so they can uh, they can start voting from very young age. What's Vigoa's dominant language? Well, we use English as yeah, the English. main language yeah. because we yeah I guess it's the easiest way to be able to talk all together. There are some countries, some countries that uh, that show more interest, mainly Germany, uh, France, and, and, and England. So it's, it's probably there will be uh, some German and, and some French uh, speaking um, in, in in the future. But it's great because everyone can teach each other. So if someone's really interested in joining Vigoa, but they're not ready to commit yet, do you allow for a trial period so they could come in and live there for six months or a year and check it out and decide yay or nay? That's exactly what we have. We have a trial period of six months for every member that wants to apply. So if someone's interested in Vigoa, what is the application process and, and what's the best way of communicating with you? Well, we have uh, um, this Facebook groups and this website, of course. Um, then I guess the first thing would be to contact us uh, by email or on private messages. 
Um, we also have now every Saturday uh, meetups here to show to show the land uh, and to let people get to know us. Um, yeah, so basically start to get in touch with us and and maybe meet us if they're if they can travel. And uh, when when we moving to to Vegan Hills, um, uh, we recommend everyone to come and stay. If it's summer, they can stay in the tents or they can just use the, the, the tourism facilities. Um, uh, or uh, what we can want to have as well is to have people coming and helping us so that they have, they have an example of the daily lifestyle um, and before they, they, they want to join. I hope this has piqued your interest in Vigoa. Maybe you're already packing your bags ready to move to Portugal. They've got a Facebook page and a website where you can get in contact with them. Their website address is vegoa.org. That's spelt V-E-G-O-A. Let's take a break and we'll come back to hear from Sea Shepherd. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And that was Lukehe by Melbourne-based Latino band Madre Monte. Now, I've got a presentation recorded at Melbourne Sustainable Living Festival in February. It's by Sea Shepherds volunteer Claire Akbari about the recent Operation Icefish, which was a campaign targeting the toothfish poachers around Antarctica. It's an illuminating insight into not just the rampant illegal fishing that takes place, but also the human slavery that goes with it. So I just want to begin by acknowledging that we meet together today on the lands of the Woiwurrung of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge their elders past, present and future and recognise unequivocally uh, that sovereignty to this land has never been ceded. So it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Okay, so my name's Claire and I joined Sea Shepherd about three years ago. Um, I went on a tour of uh, one of our ships, the Steve Irwin, that was docked in our southern operations base down in Williamstown at the time, and I signed up to be a volunteer the very next day. It was that inspiring. Um, I'm what you call an onshore volunteer. So in Melbourne, onshore volunteers, um, when we have our ships docked, we spend a lot of time supporting the ships. Um, and then when they're not around, we do outreach and stalls at different community events. We have an education program that runs in high schools, um, primary schools, and hopefully um, will spread out into universities um, and all that kind of stuff. So to introduce um, our campaign, Ice Fish, I actually firstly have to jump to the International Court of Justice. And this will make sense in a second. So in 2010, Australia, backed by New Zealand, took Japan to the International Court of Justice in a bid to end the Southern, Operation, sorry, Southern Ocean's whales, whale hunt. In 2014, the ICJ actually ruled in favour of Australia um, and ruled that Japan's, um, the scientific basis of Japan's whaling program was um, 
was defunct. Um, this is because in the 25 years that Japan has been conducting their scientific whaling um, in, in the Southern Oceans, um, they've actually only released one scientific program, uh, sorry, one scientific paper, um, and that stated that whales eat krill. Now this is a fact that most primary school children can tell you and you don't need to slaughter 1,035 whales each year to establish this fact. So it wasn't very difficult for the court to rule in Australia's favour and the Japanese government cancelled its 2014-2015 whaling season in response to that decision. So for the first time last year, in 25 years, whales could swim safely in the southern operations, sorry, southern oceans whale sanctuary without fear of being harpooned. Unfortunately, um, as many of you would be aware, um, this year they've decided to disregard that ruling and actually have sent um, their whaling fleet down to the southern oceans without a permit to do so. Um, last year, though, even without the whaling fleet, um, Antarctica's pristine waters were not free of poachers. Uh, sea Shepherd decided to make its 11th Southern Oceans defence campaign um, to target the poaching of Patagonian and Antarctic toothfish. Um, this is conducted by organised crime syndicates um, crewed on ships um, which are staffed by slave labour. The market for toothfish developed in the late 80s as the fishing industry searched for alternatives to dwindling cod populations. If you didn't already know, 80 to 90% of the world's fisheries have been fully or overexploited, and stocks of all species currently fished for food are predicted to collapse by 2048. So the development of the market for toothfish is part of this trend. Toothfish are vulnerable to overfishing because they're very um, long-lived and very slow to reach sexual maturity. So they mature around 17 years of age, um, but also these fish are not migratory um, and they tend to stay in one place in family groupings for the whole of their lives. Um, they're highly prized and sought after in the hospitality industry because the high oil content of these fish make it almost impossible to overcook or burn. Um, they're known in supermarkets and restaurants as Chilean sea bass because um, people would be extremely unlikely to purchase something on the menu called toothfish. They're sold in potentially 105 countries around the world, um, making it impossible um, to trace the illegal catch which gets mixed in with the legal, um, legal haul. Um, they're known as white gold and they're the world's most expensive fish. Uh, a, a boatload of fish can earn um, up to $83 million on, on the market. A huge concern is the way that these fish are caught using gill nets. So these nets are dropped into the water with um, weights at the bottom um, and obviously buoys at the top. Um, they sit around three to six metres high and run for kilometres. This makes them walls of death because they indiscriminately catch anything that um, swims past from sharks to rays um, to crabs to albatross. And as you can see in these photos, um, there's a, a baby whale that's been entangled in the gill nets and also seals. So um, they're really, really damaging to the environment. Um, the use of deep sea gill nets is forbidden in Antarctica because of this high risk of incidental 
um, catch of non-target sea mammals and seabirds, um, and, and also the risk that the lost or abandoned fishing nets just go on to kill indefinitely and become what, what are called ghost nets. So illegal uh, fishing for toothfish continues to take place in areas outside of national jurisdiction, so in international waters, and in waters with limited legitimate vessel traffic. Um, where the risk of detection is minimal. Even on the rare occasion that these illegal um, fishing vessels are spotted, the time between detection and um, apprehension allows for a long period when evidence can be destroyed, with vessels frequently changing um, the colour of the ship and also the country of registration before going back to port, if indeed they dock at all. Um, so in November 2014, um, Operation Icefish was launched. Uh, this campaign involved Sea Shepherds sending two of our ships, uh, the Bob Barker and the Sam Simon, down to the Southern Ocean to try and put a, put a stop to this poaching of the Patagonian and Antarctic toothfish. The idea was to locate six um, vessels notorious in the waters, um, known as the Bandit Six, um, and intercept and reel in the nets that they were using. Um, they'd been operating for, operating for more than 10 years, um, able to avoid detection and arrest by, again, frequently changing name and registration and by exploiting the remoteness of the Southern Oceans, um, where it's um, difficult to monitor and surveil these ships and also it's a two-week journey to the nearest port. The idea that was that um, the Bob Barker, captained by Peter Hammerstead, would physically escort the poachers um, into port for for arrest, ensuring that there was no opportunity for them to change their name, change their flag or to evade justice. Um, meanwhile, the Sam Simon, captained by um, Siddharth Chakravarti, would confiscate any illegal fishing gear, um, preventing further poaching and depriving um, the ship's owners of illicit profits and also providing the physical evidence for prosecution. Within two days of arriving in Antarctica on the 17th of December, 2014, uh, the Bob Barker intercepted the most infamous of the Bandit Six, um, a ship called the Thunder, which had been poaching with impunity for 13 years and had been banned from Antarctic waters since 2006. The international criminal organisation Interpol had one year earlier issued what's called the Purple Notice, um, which is basically a warrant for the arrest of or, and detention of that particular blacklisted vessel. Um, when we discovered the thunder, the Bob's captain instructed them to return to Fremantle, Australia. Um, obviously they refused um, and so we gave chase in what was to become the most epic pursuit of a fishing vessel or poaching vessel in history. The Sam Simon arrived on the scene of the crime on the 25th of December to confiscate the fishing gear abandoned by the poachers. Working 24 hours a day over a four-week period, the Sam Simon crew had the unenviable job of confiscating a record 72 kilometres worth of gill net. Um, they pulled these curtains of death out of the sea, um, they freed any entangled wildlife and released around 50,000 kilograms of toothfish back into the ocean. Uh, the process was hugely overwhelming for the crew, um, as you can imagine the sorts of things they found tangled in those nets. From the gill nets recovered, and this is a photo of some of the space that it took up on the SAM, um, only 1,081 of the fish um, 
from the catch was actually two fish, meaning that the remaining 75% of what was caught in the nets was actually bycatch. Unfortunately, none of the two fish survived. Um, given that the crew had originally thought that they would be working on a rescue and release operation, um, this was extremely distressing. Um, all of the catch was documented um, to be used as evidence against the thunder, um, but we also shared that information with scientists, as this is the first time in conservation history that an organisation, um, not fishermen, have actually recovered an Antarctic gillnet, so they were fascinated to find out what had actually been entangled in these nets. Overall, the first ice fish campaign lasted 146 days, um, so nearly five months, with 110 of those days chasing the thunder. The campaign actually ended with the captain of the thunder scuttling or sinking his own vessel um, in an attempt to hide evidence as a result of our pursuit. Ironically, the crew of the Bob Barker and Sam Simon ended up actually having to rescue the Thunder crew and take them on board until the Sao Tome um, Coast Guard came to collect them from us. The Thunder crew, um, or the deck crew, um, were all from Indonesia and that's where human trafficking comes in. So Sea Shepherd is well aware that human trafficking and modern day slavery is rife on the high seas um, in the fishing industry, both legal and illegal. Um, crew are forced to work obscenely long hours um, in dangerous and oppressive um, conditions and for little or no pay. A New York Times investigation inspired by Operation Icefish detailed how tens of thousands of human trafficked crew, many of them children, are expected to work for 21 hours a day for as little as 20 cents an hour if they get paid at all. Most are indentured servants um, working to pay off debts incurred when the ship's captain purchased them from human traffickers. Um, the Times also documented the horrific violence on board these ships, with re crew reporting that people who were sick or injured being thrown overboard, um, the defiant are beheaded and insubordinates sealed for days below deck. Beatings are a regular occurrence for minor transgressions um, like stitching a net too slowly or putting fish in the wrong bucket. On Monday the 24th, uh, sorry, the 12th of October last year, the Supreme Court of Sao Tome and Principe found the three officers of the Thunder guilty of forgery, pollution and damage to the environment and recklessness. The three were sentenced to three years in jail and fined 15 million euros. The chase of the thunder spanned three oceans and set a new world record for the longest um, maritime pursuit of a poaching vessel in modern history. The previous record would be like 22 days, so 110 days is, is pretty good. Um, the thunder is now rusting in peace at a depth of 3,800 metres and will never poach, poach again. The remaining five vessels were detained by authorities in Southeast Asia and West Africa. However, the Kunlun and the Viking late, were to later escape um, and remained at large. Um, but actually, Tuesday last, last week, um, the Kunlun was actually detained in Senegal. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. So we're just looking for the Viking at the moment. <laughs> Um, the successes of Operation Ice Fish 1 in highlighting the problem of illegal fishing in the Southern Ocean 
in bringing the poachers to justice and inspiring an international law enforcement action defied all of our expectations. Um, we were told that this campaign had no chance of succeeding and that it was a total waste of time and money. Um, and yet Sea Shepherd achieved in five months what Interpol's been trying to achieve for the last 10 years. Um, the landmark case against the officers of the Thunder is one of the first instances of a poaching crew being tried in Sao Tome and Principe. The guilty verdict and significant sentences are a victory in the battle against illegal, unreported, un unregulated fishing um, and indicate the seriousness with which these crimes are being now regarded in um, the region. Currently, Sea Shepherd is running a second ice fish campaign this summer, um, led by returning captain Sid Chakravarti. Um, the Sea Shepherd is once again focusing our attention on defending the pristine waters of Antarctica with the aim to eliminate illegal fishing of vulnerable toothfish from the region. The Sea Shepherd crews will again employ our innovative direct action techniques to fill a law enforcement void that continues to be exploited by the remaining illegal toothfish operators. We believe that the illegal vessels in the Southern Ocean exist with a resilience that can be tackled only by the determination of Sea Shepherd and that hopefully this year we can put them out of business for good. This is Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, 855am, and that was another track from Madre Monte called Cayman and Fuga. couple of community announcements here. Dr Michael Klaper from The Conspiracy Documentary will be speaking at the Astor Theatre in Melbourne this Tuesday. That's the 19th of April. Dr Klaper has invited Dairy Australia to the Astor for a public debate to defend their marketing claim that dairy is healthy for humans. The documentary will also be screened. Tickets are available via the Facebook page. Um, that's the Facebook page for Animal Liberation Victoria. There's a street action in Sydney, in the Sydney CBD, to show the general public the violent reality behind Australia's animal agriculture industry. That's on Thursday evening, the 21st of April. You're invited to join that action and there's info on their Facebook page, A Thousand Eyes street activism. Then there's the Melbourne Day of Action for Laboratory Animals. That's taking place in the Burke Street Mall next Saturday, the 23rd of April. That's also got a Facebook page called World Day for Lab Animals, Melbourne Day of Action. That same day, there'll also be a peaceful demonstration against greyhound racing at Cannington in Perth. All those actions will soon have links on the Freedom of Species Facebook page also. Please get involved wherever and however you can. Now, Victoria's recreational duck shooting continues. However, there have been some victories with a couple of wetlands closed or partly closed to shooters, thanks to the joint work of the Coalition Against Duck Shooting and Animals Australia. Now, if you're feeling a bit mouthy or just you're downright appalled, you can always contact the offices of Premier Daniel Andrews, Environment Minister Lisa Neville and Agriculture Minister Yala Pulford to let them know that the recreational slaughter of wildlife is not supported by decent people. I know they'd love to hear from you. If People Powered Radio exhibition is on now, get along to Gertrude Contemporary Gallery and enjoy this exciting collaboration. The exhibition features recordings, 
technological hardware, photos, ephemera and newly commissioned artworks by local artists which frame and interpret the station's history of radical broadcasting. A series of live broadcasts are happening every Friday in April, direct from the exhibition space, talking sovereignty, troublemaking and music. Come and explore the politics of broadcasting, the experience of community and the station's radical history with Gertrude Contemporary Gallery and Art Space. 200 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, open Tuesdays to Saturdays from 11am. Exhibition finishes April 23rd. For more information, visit 3cr.org.au. That's it for today. You can always get in touch with us by email, info at freedomofspecies.org or via our Facebook page or even via Twitter if you're that way inclined. Thank you to Geraldine, Janaya, Thiago and Claire and thanks too to Madre Monte. Here's a few more of their tracks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.